Hey babes, Nicole here. So during the uh, recording of this episode, history was made as Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have been projected as the 2020 president and vice president. So you may hear some extra fun background sounds. We are in New York City, so um, please forgive us. Uh, We apologize if that bothers you, but um, hey, it's a momentous day. Stay safe out there. dropping this on Friday the 13th. A little on the nose, but hey, that's who we are. Yeah, we're not exactly <laughs> subtle people. Exactly. Why not? Uh, it's a very special Friday the 13th for me, because we have a very special guest zooming in. Sure do. Uh, he is a brilliant philosopher and teacher. He is a recent doctoral defense passer uh, and a Friday the 13th expert. It is my best friend, Dr. Joseph Scott Wilson. Hey, everybody. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to... (laughs) Yeah, thank uh, you for coming on. Yeah, you know, I'm happy when my expertise can be of use, so, uh, (laughs) you know. You are... Yeah, <laughs> you are literally the reason that I even ever watched any of these movies. I hadn't yeah. seen one until you and I got super stoned on that big blue couch of yours and watched this, and then watched it—they're the first one—and then watched it again with the red letter media track on it. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's right. That I was our—that that. was our move. Uh huh. Yeah. So I do have to ask: How many movies in this franchise has everyone here seen? Two. Two. Yeah, I've seen one and two. Okay, I've I definitely seen all of them multiple times, uh, which would mean nine X says so ten, and then Freddy vs Jason so eleven, um, and then the reboot. Did you see the Michael I, Bay produced one? Yeah, the two thousand nine. Yeah, one. yeah, I, I only saw that one once, and actually, I was uh, we don't have to talk about it too much. I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, I actually enjoyed it in a lot of ways. Um, in the way that it differed, in the way that it was the same, but um, so I guess that's twelve. Is that twelve movies? Yeah, that's I don't know. All twelve. I've, that's, I've seen that's, either that's way. I've the, seen a dozen. I've seen them all, but um, one through nine, I've seen um, several times over. Uh, this the, basically. <laughs> so you weren't uh, kidding. Yeah, really yeah, that's expert. right. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so the the story is uh, back in the day, back in like. Uh, the early 2000s, I think, uh, maybe late 90s. Um, no, it would have been late 90s. Late 90s, like USA Network would show Friday the 13th on TV, and uh, you know, I'd watch them. Uh, didn't have much restrictions on what I could watch when I was younger, so little 10-year-old Joe was watching <laughs> m- uh, cut-for-TV versions of these Friday the 13th movies, and um, I just found them engrossing for some reason, and. Uh, uh, a lot of my friends at the time were also um, getting into horror and stuff. And so it actually, for, for me, sure. is like this communal thing with me. Um, I'll, I'll make some shout outs real quick to uh, 
Kyle England, my, my, my best, one of my best friends, uh, my brother, Jordan Wilson. Um, we've basically been watching these things for like over 20 years. Uh, for sure. And it became its sort of its own thing for us. Um, we have sort of our own, you know, mythos to it and our own inside jokes or references to it. So, um, yeah, so just a long history for me. Um, I love uh, that. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of fun to, to have a chance to talk about, uh, talk about it, actually. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is a great one to get started on a horror journey because this time period was so huge for horror with, like, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, and then Friday the Thirteenth. We've, you know, we've got Evil Freddy, Dead series, Freddy, here. Jason, and Michael. Like we've got mm-hmm. our our trio here, so it's kind of it's kind of the perfect start. Yeah, um, yeah, it's the it's the slasher, uh, the origins of the, well, the mainstream slashers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. So, babes, we are gonna do kind of our normal format here, but since we're covering two movies, we're covering Friday the 13th 1 and 2, we're gonna do Who Made This Thing Part 1, Who Made This Thing Part 2, and then we'll jump into Plot 1 and Plot 2, and then we're just gonna dive right into the analysis. So, Topher, do you want to take us away with our Who Made This Thing? I absolutely can. (laughs) Um, Let's see. So, we'll start with Friday the 13th, the first one. Directed by Sean S. Cunningham, who was also the like sole producer. Uh, written by Victor Miller. We had music from the incredible and one of my favorite composers, Harry Manfredini. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, some dope cinematography from Barry Adams. Editing from Bill Freda. The editing is something that I do want to talk a li- about a little bit on both of these movies, just because it's a little odd. Um Friday the 13th Part 1 was a cool sort of experiment in making a truly mainstream slasher following the success of Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, it was definitely, because these came out within a year of each other, uh, it was clearly, this was the proof of concept, like we talked about with The Evil Dead. Yeah. That they made, um, oh fuck, I am supposed to be the expert here and I fucking forgot the name of the short film that they made. But anyway, this was a bigger budget uh, proof of concept for them to see if they could start a franchise. Isn't the proof of concept? Isn't it just named after the book or something? No, no, no. The of the Evil Dead. Yeah. No, it's not the Necronomicon. It's something about the woods. Oh, never mind. It's not Into the Woods, which came out around the same time. But that's Sondheim. That's not. very different. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but this was a pretty low budget. The first one was a pretty low budget, five hundred fifty thousand, mm-hmm. but made almost sixty million back in boss box office. I'm assuming that also includes uh, home media, uh, syndication deals, things like that. But to date has made $60 million as far as we know, yeah. which is a huge fucking return on investment. Yeah. So obviously they bankrolled that right into the second one, which we'll talk about in just a second. Uh, the major production company behind it was Georgetown Productions, one of their first major films that actually put them on the map, even though they folded into or merged with another company later. Um, and distribution was done by Paramounts domestically. And we have to mention some of the actors because in this is none other than Kevin Bacon. Yup. <laughs> the hottie skeleton himself. Yes. Who is all of 5'7 in person. He and Keir Sedgwick live on the Upper West Side and I used to see them all the time when I worked down there. <laughs> oh, he's that short? Yeah, he's like 5'7, easy. Interesting. Yeah. Also, a fun thing about all of the actors in this is that basically they were all Broadway kids who got trucked over to New Jersey to shoot this. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, they were all uh, uh, Broadway kids who were trying to make it all super young. And then they were just like, hey, they basically just went around like uh, midtown and were like, do y'all want to be in a movie? 
<laughs> that sounds like a setup for a horror film in itself. Yeah. Like, bust a couple Broadway kids over to New Jersey in the middle of the woods. Like, that, that sounds already... sounds like every project I've ever done. That sounds like a setup <laughs> to me. Um, but great. That's yeah. That's awesome. Good for them. So, I guess I'll do the actual just cast cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adrienne King is Alice. That's our final girl. Uh, and everybody else is completely indistinguishable from one another. They have no characterization other than one Same. plays Bach on yeah. guitar. <laughs> and one likes drawing. Oh, what about uh, um, what about Ralph? Crazy Ralph. Oh, there oh, is Crazy Ralph. I was going to get to Crazy yeah, Ralph. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. as far as the kids go, I do not know oh, any absolutely. of them from one another. Uh, the only one I always recognize is one who is the actor who looks like one of our good friends here uh, for the podcast, Chris Lopez. And he's the hottest is, one in the movie. The one with the glasses is. and the yeah. raincoat. Which uh, is a yeah. little bit of a, a little bit of a perv because he's hanging out with eighteen-year-olds and he's clearly in his late thirties. That's right, uh, yeah. But that's Peter Brower as Steve Christie, a.k.a. Chris Lopez. Uh, mm-hmm. We have Harry Crosby as Bill, Janine Taylor as Marcy, Laurie Bartram as Brenda, and Kevin Bacon as Jack. Mark Nelson as Ned, the obnoxious one. That's the only other one I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Walt Gorney as Crazy Ralph, who <laughs> it's is It's literally be in- called Crazy Ralph. Crazy yeah. Ralph. And it's an accurate description of who he is. Yep. And then but Betsy he knows, Palmer he knows- as Miss Voorhees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So he knows it's got a death curse. He's, he's the only one that's, you know, right about it. But um, Love a good doomsayer. Yeah. Love Harbinger. He, I was going to say, yeah. he's such a typical Harbinger. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we were upstate in a cabin last weekend and just kept looking for which entry point to a horror movie we were going in. It was five people, three Jews, three queer folks, and a large black man. And two women. We were, we were uh, set up. We were, we were setting ourselves up for disaster on a full moon on Halloween. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and as a blue moon. It was perfect. <laughs> we loved it. Right before the election, too. Oh, Lots man. of booze, maybe some um, other substances and that are semi-legal. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. <laughs> Good time. Good time for everybody, you know. <laughs> moving on to part two. Yes. So, Friday the 13th, part two. Directed and produced by Stephen Miner. Written by Ron Kurz. Uh, there's no story by credit on either of these, I should say. It's all uh, screenplay credit. Mm-hmm. The music was once again done by the amazing Harry Manfredini. Mm. Cinematography from Peter Stein and editing from Susan E. Cunningham. Once again, distribution from Paramount Pictures. Again, it came out in within a year of the, la- of the, of the original. Which I would not have known. Like, watching the second one, it feels like we are way, like, I don't know, we just got hotter people, way different fashion. Like, it it just, it looks like it's seven mm-hmm. years yeah. apart. And yeah. that's what doubling your budget will do, because yeah. they got 1.25. They doubled the budget on this. Uh, made less money. They made about a, a third of what they made huh, on the yeah. first one. But that's Didn't pretty standard for sequels, and it's still a very big return on investment. I mean, 20 times. True. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, yeah, I guess we should do cast. That's people, the people who are in it. We briefly have Adrienne King returning as Alice Hardy. And <laughs> Spo- once again, spoilers. Betsy Palmer as Pamela Voorhees. <laughs> hey, oh. if you're listening to this podcast and you're talking about 40-year-old movies, I think, That's right. um, fuck you. <laughs> Alice survives in the first one. <laughs> yeah. And briefly survives in the first one. Or second one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amy Steele as Ginny Field, our new final girl. John Fury as Paul Holt, who mostly just looks like a penis because he has a bowl cut and wears turtlenecks. Like I said, Adrienne King returning briefly as Alice Hardy. Uh, two different folks as Jason in this. Steve uh, Steve Daskovitz and Warrington Gillette. Yeah, 
The unmasked version is Warrington. Right. Yeah. And Steve is our sort of stunt. Yeah, Jason. the stuntman. Yeah. 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 Uh, Stu Charno as Ted Bowen. Laura Marie Taylor as Vicki Perry. Marta Cobra as Sandra Deer. Tom McBride as Mark Jarvis. Bill Randolph as Jeff Dunsbury. Kristen Baker as Terry the Turkey McCarthy. <laughs> Russell Todd as Scott Cherney. And Walt Gorney returning as Crazy Ralph. Yeah. Man, Crazy Ralph. So that's our uh, that's kind of our whodunit on this. Mm. Uh, just it? trying to keep it nice and tight. It's a lot of people will get into it. It's a slasher movie. The characters aren't super important in this. Yeah, we don't know much about them except for they are teens at a summer camp and they have sex. Yeah, they're all horny teens. They're all hot. Uh, One of them's in a wheelchair. One of them looks exactly like Linguini from Ratatouille. (laughs) Ted is exactly Linguini. He is boss. I'm pretty sure Pixar did their modeling of that character off of him. That's amazing. He survives, right? He just stays yeah. at the diner all night. He's do- yeah. Well, well, not the diner, the casino. The, the, sorry, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the last thing, I think the last thing we hear from him is he asked that other bar goer. He's like, he's like, are there any after hour places? And the guy's like, sure are. And that's <laughs> and it. Leaves. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's you know the last what? we hear from Linguini. Yeah. But he's fine. <laughs> he goes off and he starts a restaurant um, eventually with a oh. rat. Yeah, yeah rat- ratatouille. Yeah. Oh, right. Duh. Sorry. Hey, everybody. I'm an idiot. Uh, But he does get he does get a Michelin star. That's right. Eventually in like uh, 1991 Mm. earns his first Michelin star using a rat who sounds oddly like Patton Oswalt. Love it. Yeah. His best friend. Controlling him with his hair. Absolutely. Love that rat. Love that rat. Love Patton Oswalt. Fantastic rat. All right. Mm. So I'm going to dive right into plot. I'm going to try to make this snappy. Um, so we're in 1958. We're at Camp Crystal Lake. We've got a bunch of counselors, um, namely Barry and Claudette. And um, they're playing weird Christian campfire songs. Oh, my God. That white nonsense. <laughs> That's what campfire songs are. White nonsense or they're like things stolen, that, spirituals. stolen spirituals from black people. <laughs> like what? I hate campfire songs. <laughs> Get out of here with that. Except the campfire song song from SpongeBob SquarePants. That's, That's a fine. great campfire song. That is in a different category. I'm talking about like fucking Kumbaya and shit. Um, <laughs> and occasionally any song by the Mamas and Papas. But I do kind of like That's just them. on your brain because we're talking about it and we're talking to someone from the Bay Area. That's fair. <laughs> um, California Dream. So, California Dream. <laughs> I was just talking about how I'm pretty sure that they had a suit against R.E.M. for the mandolin line in Losing My Religion. Hmm. I couldn't. Now that you point it out, like maybe, it's plausible. Yeah, I'd have to listen to it again, but maybe. Oh no, we get to listen to two good songs. True. So, uh, so uh, what? Barry and Claudette sneak into um, a storage cabin to fook, and want to fook. So, and they get murdered, basically. Uh, and then we flash forward twenty-one years later. We've got Annie, um, who is hitchhiking up to the uh, Yeah, she's hitching her way all the way over. Yeah. Um, So that already puts us, you know, at unease. Here's a question I want to ask Joe. Do you know how far after the original series of events in 1957 and 1958 that this story is supposed to take place? I think it might just say present 
day? I don't remember. It says present day, but yeah. it's clearly not 1980 because the second one is in it 1981. It says 21 years later here. Oh, okay. So that gives us a time frame. We're in the 60s or 70s. Yeah. Okay, it cool. Says, it says 21 years later um, on, on the Wikipedia. On the Wikipedia. Page. On the Wikipedia. Um, they they so retconned, uh, tried to retcon a consistent right, yeah. timeline. Nice. <laughs> Love uh, a wiki retcon. Yeah. Um, it might say present day, um, but definitely the second one is supposed to be five years after. So makes sense of that. Right. Yeah, I know. That's well. what I was wondering about. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. It says present day. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what that is. But 21 years yeah. later makes sense. So it's 1960 or 1979. Which means the second Wait, one should be in 84. Right? Yeah. No, that's right. If it's 58. Oh, wow. They were making science fiction movies in the second one. They're, yeah. Or at least spec fic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so this is when we first get um, a glimpse of Crazy Ralph, uh, because Ralph warns Annie, and Annie's like, uh, "Why? Like you're crazy? What?" Um, get and bit, weirdo. So we hear about a story about a young boy drowning in Crystal Lake in 1957, um, and she's just like, "Whatever," and still is hitchhiking. Um, and but then, on her second. Uh, hitchhiking experience where she's she was dropped off halfway and then she had to hitchhike the rest of the way so in her second hitchhiking adventure she um gets chased into the woods and her throat gets slashed oh and a terrible tuck and roll here she is not a good tuck and roller right if you're gonna be a hitchhiker you need to learn to do a good tuck and roll i'm sorry that's just like 101 she tries to go head over heels and that's just a great way to break your neck that's what i'm saying like if <laughs> She could have just died right there. You gotta go. You gotta go perpendicular to the roadway. Yeah. Fist over ears. Tuck your elbows in. Keep that neck nice and tight, and just roll on your side. Like I said, if you you're might planning, break a rib, but you won't break your ankle and you won't break your neck. You won't die. Like yeah, um, unless you get slashed. Um, <laughs> so spoilers. <laughs> So I just said she gets slashed. Um, So now we're at the camp with a couple of other counselors, Ned, Jack, Bill, Marcy, Brenda, and Alice, along with the the owner, Steve, Um, who they're kind of refurbishing the cabins because it hasn't been used um, in a while. And um, as a thunderstorm approaches, Steve leaves the campground to stock the supplies. And um, Ned sees someone walk into a cabin, and Ned follows. And then, of course, just like in all of these movies, Jack and Marcy have sex in one of the bunk beds. Um, but really they're... lame sex, too. This yeah. sex looks rough. I, I would imagine that sex with Kevin Bacon is much more enjoyable than this looks. Yeah, this was very just, like, non-passionate. It was very, <laughs> very stale. Very weird. They do correct that in the second one. True. They are not aware of Ned's body above them. Which is a really cool shot when they pan up to that above bunk is like yep. super cool. And so Ned Ned's dead. Um, <laughs> dead and Ned's then, dead. Yep. <laughs> and then Marcy leaves to use the bathroom and Jack's throat is pierced with an arrow from under underneath the bed. The killer follows Marcy into the bathrooms and slams an axe just dead into her face. That's Another, probably the best kill, right? Where you see the shadow beforehand. It's pretty good. Yeah, and the axe yeah, hits you see the, the shadow uh, behind her. She's looking in the shower, and then suddenly it's just axe to face. The axe yeah. hits the uh, overhead lamp to like give it some yep, k-tunk, like it has some, some nice, weight, and the uh, some good drama, and the light uh, moves around. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one is that one's pretty pretty shocking. I, I clutched my pearls at that one. <laughs> wow. Um, so then Brenda hears a voice calling for help and goes outside to the archery range, which all of us at home are like, "Bitch, don't go- like what? Also, Stop it!" <laughs> can we talk about her Ebenezer Scrooge outfit right here? She's wearing a floor length nightgown. Mm. It also gave me. I mean, this movie came with a candle. She's holding a candle. Well, not in their death, but like before that, she's got a candle and a floor length nightgown. I'm just like, "Mm." I know it's very it also gave me very and this movie came out like a million years later. But it gave me like um, Exorcism of Emily Rose vibes where she like goes out (laughs) into the like smoky grave and shit. The foggy bog. The foggy bog. The Um, moors. Exactly. So um, the lights all turn on, um, disorienting her. And we don't see what happens to her in this moment. Uh, We go back to um, Steve uh, returns and recognizes this unseen killer and then gets stabbed. So then we've got Alice and Bill uh, who leave the main cabin to go investigate. They're like, what the fuck is going on? They find the axe in Brenda's bed. The phones are disconnected and Ned's truck is not working. The power goes out and then Bill goes to check on the generator. Mm-hmm. Alice heads out to look for him and finds his body pinned with arrows to the generators, the the room's the that room's door. And so she runs away to this main cabin to hide, only to find Brenda's body thrown through the window. Such uh, a good scare moment. Traumatizing. Mm-hmm. It's a really uh, long I love that someone's shot. just fucking with them. You know, like that's, yeah. uh, we'll talk about the video game a little bit later, but that's a great little moment. Yeah, I'm interested yeah. to hear about the video game because oh, yeah. I didn't even know that existed. So that'd be, that'd be cool to talk about. So then Alice sees a vehicle pull up and she rushes outside thinking it's Steve. Instead, we get a Mrs. Voorhees, who is a middle-aged woman who claims to be a friend of Steve and his family. So I like the color middle age, but she's definitely AARP. She's definitely, yeah, she's a little older. Um, so no, no, uh, no ageism here. Just stating that I think middle age is a little bit of an understatement. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so she, she then tells us that her son, Jason was the young boy who drowned in 1957. And she blames his death on the counselors who were supposed to be watching him, but were having sex instead. They so were making got a, love. We've got a vengeful, uh, sexless bitch here. She's very <laughs> upset. Very unwell, really. He wasn't a very good swimmer. He wasn't a very good, very good swimmer. swimmer. Oh, my God. It's, the performance here is fantastic. Oh, it's but really I also good. would like to say that as a member of the moral majority, I agree with her. Yeah. Mm. Me and Pat Buchanan, certified Nazi, right behind her. Mm. So then, <laughs> so she's revealed as the killer, one of the greatest twists, like, ever. And she attempts to kill Alice, but Alice knocks her unconscious. And um, we've got, you know, the back and forth of, like, the final girl. We've got all this stuff. But then finally, Alice gains advantage and slices this bitch like a motherfucking cake decapitates <laughs> her like it literally looks like a nicely sliced cake except it's a head um, there is yeah exactly joe's doing sorry it's an audio yeah, medium but joe yeah. is doing the exact same thing that i was about to do <laughs> but, like, there's this really great moment where she starts clutching for her head. yes and you, that and is yeah. so creepy and, and you get a uh, the the hairy hands of a stunt man oh mrs, yep. mrs. <laughs> Boy's hairy hands 
Um, it's incredible. Yeah. It's one of those great moments of just like film flubs, I guess. But yeah. the fact that, yeah, it's, it's, it's but about you, as hairy as you or I are. Yeah. It, yeah. You, you, have to, is, you have to look so for it. Significant. But yeah. And I don't think yeah. it's Tom Savini who did the, um, like, uh, directed the, the practical effects for this movie. But it's, it's one of the, one of the, uh, uh, practical effects people or the stunt people or something. Um, yeah. Anyways, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great shot. Regardless, it's still like a really like a really uh, a great great effect. Great shot. Hundred percent. I I love the like reaching for the head thing. Like that's just such a good touch. <laughs> and that this waifish chick is just like grabs a, mach- a, machete, a machete and slices her head off in the slow mo shot. Yeah. Well, and it's also it's also kind of great because I mean. Mrs. Voorhees' head becomes such a such a thing, so um, it's kind of perfect, perfect signaling. I know. Um, <laughs> they 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 so, say they didn't know what they were doing with these movies as they make made them right, go on. Ah, it was right. all planned from the beginning. The whole story. Yeah. Again, they were filming by the time this one was released. They knew exactly <laughs> what the fuck they were doing. They <laughs> love to think that it's all just like magic and it's came together. It's all just fucking it's Hollywood mythos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at the end of this movie, um, Alice uh, gets in, just gets in a canoe. I'll take that again. <laughs> oh no, I was doing that for effect. Oh, okay. Well, at the end of this it's a movie, ASMR for everybody. Um, at the end of this movie, Alice uh, just decides to get on a canoe and falls asleep inside said canoe after rowing um, herself out like Gollum. Yeah, <laughs> two hands in the water, just like. Hmm. Yep. No oar, because the oar broke while she was fighting Miss Voorhees. Yeah. Yep. And I just can't unsee her just, like, goleming her way through this lake. <laughs> it's amazing. And then, suddenly, Jason's decomposing corpse attacks her. He looks like a moldy Groot. And, <laughs> she, and so then she wakes up in a hospital surrounded by um, police and medical staff who are uh, asking her questions, but also tending to mm. her. Um, and then when Alice asked about Jason, the police says there was no sign of any boy. And she mm. says, then he's still out there as the lake is shown at peace. Mm-hmm. You could almost mm. call it a plastic and, lake. Yeah. <sighs> we didn't, we exactly didn't find so any that. boy. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't find, find any boy. Oh, God, we didn't the find this is so fun. he's still out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Oh man! So that's that concludes number one. Nice and tight. Um, yeah, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to get you know get through these plots because there's not it's not like a huge, it's not a very convoluted yeah, plot. Not, you know, they're not plotty plotty. They're more meta plotty. I mean, it's a slasher. You're you're in it for the for the kills. So, um, yeah. so yeah, let's swiftly move on to part two then. Um, so. About two months after all of the murders at uh, Camp Crystal Lake, we've got Alice, our final girl. She's she's having you know some some real PTSD, some bad dreams, mm. some you know Weak. severe anxiety and everything. And she opens the refrigerator in her own apartment um, to get her cat some food, and you know sees the severed head of uh, Pamela Voorhees. What a southern ass name. Voorhees. <laughs> um, Pamela. Pamela Voorhees. I'm Pamela it's Voorhees. Got a, yeah, it's got a lot of like Blanche Devereaux, Rue McClanahan it energy. It does. 100%. And then uh, Alice. Says the person named Nicole Lee Hood. Is that a southern name? You've got a Nicole Lee right there. Hmm. I don't know. Good to know, I guess. If if that's how I how it comes off to people. Shut up, Georgia. 
hey, we went blue this year. Um, <laughs> but Well, maybe. There's a recount. But anyway, <laughs> um, so, so as Alice finds this head that she, you know, cut off like a slice of cake, um, she's murdered by an unknown assailant. <laughs> Hilarious that they're still calling it an unknown assailant. Um, with an ice pick to her temple. Right in the temple. You know, I just call that a good old-fashioned lobotomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's, she's happier Very, now. Very, uh... Exactly, yeah. right? See, it's <laughs> just like yeah. uh, Rosemary Kennedy, yeah. you know? Yeah. Exactly. How, do you, how do you get she over trauma? She was much happier you know? after she had her brain split in half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So now... We're at five years. I was years. just re-listening to the, the history of the lobotomy this past week. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn, you were the, going in. I, I feel like I mention this podcast every time we're on here, but I'm a super stan. Uh, Behind the Bastards was, I went back and re-listened to the history of the lobotomy. It is horrifying, but yeah. also could definitely be a Coen Brothers movie. I love that. I love that idea. <laughs> um, so about five years later, uh, Paul opens a school for camp counselors um, at Crystal Lake. I don't know why we keep going back to Crystal Lake. Like, just just leave it Reclamation. be. Reclamation. It's I got guess. a death curse. But leave the death curse. Well, you know, just leave it alone. Yeah. No, leave it alone. the narrative. <laughs> leave uh, dead people alone. I'm on Paul's they, side. They do that in part six where they rename the camp. Like, that's what they're trying to do. Uh, no. They, don't, they, they get there. They think that that's going to, like, fix yeah. something? That's right, yeah. So <laughs> that everyone... For, we'll it's just like, rename yeah. it. Yeah, so everyone forgets about Jason, and that'll stop the that'll stop the killing. What well, that, there's time? more stop there's more to it than that. To the yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we haven't gotten there yeah, yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've got Sandra, her boyfriend Jeff, of course. There's always a Jeff. Jeff. Troublemaker Scott, Tomboy Terry. Why why do we have all these names? Weird. Why is um, Terry? Why is Terry described as a tomboy? Terry's- I thought it was a turkey. <laughs> Terry, you turkey. <laughs> Terry, you turkey. Um, <laughs> it's my new favorite insult now. You turkey. You turkey. I'm going to start using that. No, because I just called um, her abs. Abs. Abs, abs. McGee. That's abs Ooh, Yeah, damn. abs McCarthy. Body, body, body. Um, we've got Mark. We've got Vicky. We've got Ted. We've, et cetera. A more white people names. Li- a um, laundry list. But this is more diverse than the first one. There is a black guy and an Asian woman. True. Both we're, working at this camp. Was, we're moving in a yeah. in a better direction here. They aren't proper. Um, they are characters, named, though. But, yeah, they are. They show up in yeah. shots. They do. I don't think they exactly really yeah. talk. Yeah. I was but. watching the credits and it just says assorted other camp counselors. Yeah. <laughs> Can't even give them a name. No. Yeah. Yeah, there's like 20 of them. I, I'm glad they don't have names. But, uh, and then we've got Paul's assistant, um, Jenny. Slash girlfriend. Slash girlfriend, for sure. Mm-hmm. And she shows up late, and it's just like, like, they're trying to give us a lot more character development in this one, and you can tell because we're, we're like, oh, okay, so like, they're, they've kind of got like a forbidden thing because she's his assistant, but is definitely like his only love interest and mm-hmm. everything. So, so Paul tells these counselors about, um, Jason Voorhees, the whole like legend at the campfire. We get, you know, brought up to date about the drowning in 1957. Um, We hear all about what happened five years ago with everyone getting killed. And Jason is rumored to have survived and is now living in the woods near Crystal Lake and um, is now killing people to avenge his mother's death. So we've switched here. Yeah, Um, so, yeah, so, so if you're confused, the first movie, the plot is 
Jason's mom gets revenge for the death of her son. The second movie is, oh, Jason actually didn't die. Jason <laughs> saw his mom die and now is getting revenge for the death of his mom. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and you Makes know, complete sense. Uh, just, just, uh, just like you said, it's a total reversal. Um, yeah. Nobody stops to ask how that's possible. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're just like suspend your disbelief. Just don't ask questions. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so after Paul finishes the story, only nerds ask questions. To be honest. Well, true. I'm a big old nerd. Um, <laughs> so after. Paul finishes the story. A man with a spear scares everyone, but it's only Ted in a mask. And we've got so many like problematic costumes in the first and the second one. Like they're very clearly like native. And I was just like, uh, don't love that. It's Ned and Ted who do it too. Ned and Ted. Yeah. Damn. So then uh, Paul reassures everyone like, like calm down. Jason is dead. Um, Camp Crystal Lake is condemned and off limits or whatever. Yeah, so don't go over there. Yeah, but that night, crazy Ralph wanders onto the property. Doesn't he always with his little bicycle? <laughs> He's trying he always, to help his with his bicycle. bicycle. He's just trying the to bicycle help. that could. <laughs> um. So he's you know he's just trying to spread the good word, <laughs> warning the group. Look, no one ever um, believes a true prophet. True. That's how you know they're a true prophet if no one believes them. True. Mm-hmm. Hashtag um, QAnon. Um, <laughs> uh, no. Amazing. I'm pulling a bit this episode, and I don't know if it's landing, but I'm having fun doing it. I, that's that's what matters, I suppose. So the following day, Jeff and Sandra uh, sneak off to Camp Crystal Lake because teenagers love to do what they're told not to. Um, so they find a dog carcass. Which why? Why do you have to do that? To is me? it? Is it? Is it Muffin? Is the dog carcass Muffin? Is it Muffin? We just knows. <laughs> muffin disappeared. They're all looking for Muffin. They're all looking for Muffin. Which I'm just like... Is that a sex joke, by the way? That all these teenagers are looking for Muffin? Mm. Maybe. Looking like, for Muffin all the wrong. Is your Muffin buttered? Mm. Mm. Would you like someone to be assigned to butter your Muffin? What movie is that from? Clueless. That's right. <laughs> so, How dare you forget any line from Clueless? Uh, I never claimed to be a clueless expert. I'm a, yeah. I'm a Gil- wedding Gil- singer yeah. expert. But that is true. I never claimed to be a clueless expert. So um, <laughs> then they get caught by Deputy Winslow with one of the funniest um, acting moments I think I've ever seen. Oh, he like grabs it. and is like, hey, what are you kids doing here? And it's so like, <laughs> I was like, oh boy, Oscar <laughs> award winning. <laughs> it's so funny to me. And they get returned to the camp. They're mm-hmm. like, he's like, he's like, get out. Um, so later, Winslow spots a masked man in a burlap sack running um, across the road. And then he chases him hilariously. Like this uh, run, like what is going on? With it lasts run? forever. And it's just like, he's <laughs> so tired. And he's like, he doesn't want to <laughs> run. But he's like, the script says I'm running. And uh, <laughs> the script says I'm Yeah, the script I'm says I'm supposed on, to man. run. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't it's you know this is the late this is the early 80s late 70s jogging had just become a thing mm-hmm. people didn't exercise at that point so it's like definitely that like that anchorman bit of like what is this jogging yeah yeah, yeah. he's very bad at it this he's you know this guy in his jogging. 50s is a, a veteran actor and being told to run in a script he's like I'm sorry I don't know this word here it says I, I 
Rune? Yeah. It is not. It is not. It, this was not on my special skills on my resume. You yeah. guys know I can't run. Yeah. That's and it's, my headshot. Does it says Rune? Yeah. But it's interesting. It's like but, there are like four or five different camera placements of him just running like left oh, to right. So yeah. Many. And it's like, so where is he yeah. going? He and he stops like mid frame, like takes a breath, starts running again. Um, uh, I guess it's supposed. To, he clearly, could have just gone around. Yeah. I guess it's supposed to be yeah. suspenseful, you know. Uh, but it's. It is supposed to be. It does not come off as suspenseful. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> More comes off as a bit comical. Definitely. Yeah. But what ends our um, suspense comedy here is he finds a shack um, and a man kills him with a hammer claw. So. Ooh, that cl- that's a that's another good. This one has really solid kills. The creativity of the kills in yeah. this. So we've got Crazy Gal with the garrote. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, Officer, what's his name? <laughs> Officer Grant, I call yeah. him Grant. Ralph Winslow? No, that's that's the. Uh, no. It is Winslow. Okay, I was not. I'm not crazy. Carl Winslow. Thinking, yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking Carl Winslow, and I had Crazy Ralph, Carl Winslow, all combined. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, with the with the hammer claw to the head, and we'll get to the others. But this is probably my favorite sequence of kills I've seen in just like a dumb slasher. Yes, it's it's very very well done. But then we are back at the camp. Uh, Paul offers the others one last night on the town, of course, which is what you pointed out that Wet Hot American Summer references. Um, <laughs> if you know, I'm sure a lot of people have have seen that hilarious uh, movie and also TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, Both are good. Yeah, so they go into the town. Um, uh, six of them stay behind, including Jeff and Sandra. Real quick, actually, um, now that we're mentioning Wet Hot American Summer, I want to mention my favorite Halloween costume Joe's ever had. Oh, oh yeah, good. Because yeah. it was a dual costume with my brother. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they were both Jean. It was actually, no, it wasn't even a Halloween costume party. It was just a regular costume That's party it. that my friend Kira th- uh, threw for the re release of Wet Hot American Summer, or like the reboot of Wet Hot American yeah. Summer. Yeah. And we were all supposed to come as characters from the movie. And one of my favorite photos I have of Joe and my brother is the two of them humping a refrigerator together. Incredible. That's right. I need to see this. I'll show it to you later. <laughs> Perfect. It, I'd have to dig for it, but it is a fantastic photo. A lot of good costumes came out of that. Mm-hmm. That's that's awesome. Sorry, just quick aside that I wanted yeah, to throw yeah. in there because I just saw that photo the other day as I was flipping through my uh, old Instagram or something like that. It's like, ah, oh, yes, perfection. Perfection. <laughs> Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Um, <laughs> I wore a shower curtain as a cape. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so we're at the bar. Um, Jenny, who we should note is studying psychology. Child Child psychology. Child psychology. So that, that really comes in. Um, comes into play here. So Ginny is kind of she's she's psychoanalyzing what could be happening here, and armchair psychology at a bar. <laughs> yeah. Um. So she says basically, if Jason were still alive and had seen his mother's death, it may have left him with no distinction between life and death or right and wrong. So Paul is like, you, you woman, you're talking the crazy. Um, (laughs) And he's like, no, no. And he's like, Jason is nothing but an urban legend. It's like gaslighting her. And Linguini's Um, just getting pounded on Heineken. Oh, he's trying to get it in. Yes, Um, boss. So. He's got like 20 Heineken bottles around him. So while this subplot 
is like going on at the bar. Um, a lot of other people are dying back at the camp. Um, a lot of the counselors are getting murdered. Uh, Scott has his uh, throat slit with a machete while caught in a rope trap. And Terry is killed off screen um, upon finding his dead body. Mark gets the machete slammed into his face and falls down a flight of stairs because he's Most in a wheelchair. hilarious death. What is up with that editing, that shot, that like zoom in, like, like flash? Yeah, the, is it, yeah it's where like a picture. Ro- where he's rolling. Yeah, it's like a picture. Uh, which one are we shot? The, where he's rolling down the steps backwards? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, yeah. I was like, this doesn't, this didn't happen for any of the other kills. <laughs> it's like, what is <laughs> yeah, this? Yeah, why did we make the guy in the wheelchair who's determined to get the use of his legs back? have the most comical death yeah yeah and it kind of starts with a it's like um so the, the camera's behind the head and you get the right. machete to the machete to the face and it's like this yeah. really like hard wood block sound like a like a yeah like he's yes. like he's getting uh like his head's hollow or something um and it's uh so it's really like it has good impact and then i don't know why they um why they continue uh with him rolling sort of backwards down the steps i made a I made a gif. Sometimes I make gifs of Friday the Thirteenth things of where he's this is en- true. where he's en- many of them where he's endlessly falling. Uh, it never oh stops. Oh, you did. So- I forgot about that yeah. one. I forgot you sent me yeah. that at one point. Uh, because there are enough shots, uh, and you kind of can. Anyways, um, you can yeah, kind of make it look. Yeah, but it's yeah. It, no, it's very yeah. Good. But it's uh, yeah. I think it's it's one of the more memorable ones, partly because he's one of the more sympathetic characters. Um, Really is because you really yeah. you're really rooting for him to get his legs back and that uh, uh, he's vaguely in training and people keep asking yeah. for what and he doesn't say but yeah and yeah that, and he's like about to have sex with oh uh, my god you're Linda right. Cardellini lookalike oh yeah and they're yeah, you know, and they're hitting it off like it's a uh, it's, it's real so it's, much it's, chemistry it's, tra- it's yeah. a tragedy really it really is exactly. Yeah doesn't even get to get it in before he dies yeah but who who does get to get it in is um jeff and sandra (laughs) Mm -hmm. they're they're the one in uh, the ones in this film who who uh die with a spear as they're having sex they're together yeah yeah they live together they die together you know this is also pretty great though because you see the spear go through the bottom of the bed so you're like oh okay they're both done and it's how horrifying is that 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 um um, Jeff is on top and Sandra can see everything mm-hmm. that's about to happen and that moment where she's just like oh my god and then dead yeah. and you see it the spear go through the bottom of the bed it is, it's crazy this is the scene I was mentioning that's much more passionate in the sex and actually seems like it was good yeah the 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 uh, the acting was a lot better in this one well she gives that like um, full like very sexy kiss on the throat uh, to him yeah, after, yeah. as they're both finishing together yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's Not a lot to talk more. Not teenage sex too much, but just you know, it was mm. nice. It's, it's nice to see like a reasonably believable sex scene. Way better than the Kevin Bacon sex scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Vicky gets stabbed with a kitchen knife. So later, Ginny and Paul return to find the place in disarray. Of course, everyone's dead. Um, so in the dark, the killer ambushes Paul and uh, then starts oh. to chase uh, chase Ginny through the camp and into the woods, where she finds a shack. And she spends a lot of time barricading herself uh, with for one door. I think there are like at least two. She needs to, you know, figure <laughs> I that out. I think that was a shout to the first one where Alice spends for 
forever barricading mm-hmm. the front door. True. And ignores True. every other entrance to You're the You're just like, yeah. what is... I mean, but I guess panic here, sheer panic will, Fair you enough. know, allow you to do a lot I'm of I'm not saying I would stuff. make better decisions. Right. True. Um, so she finds this really creepy altar with Pamela Voorhees' severed head on it, surrounded by a pile of bodies and candles and the sweater and just everything. So this is when her child psych... Uh, degree or almost degree is just flips on and she's like oh Jason Voorhees is the killer Jenny decides to put on Pamela's sweater to try to do some sort of like would you call it reverse psychology or is it more of like I think it's gaslighting gaslighting <laughs> but so you it's know very what bad psychologist shit so you know what yeah. it's very smart to keep herself alive though yeah. like this uh, I'm not saying it's not clever yeah. it's definitely clever right so, so the idea was that uh, right Jason never learned the distinction between life and death or what death was mm-hmm. so he doesn't realize his mom's dead when he's like moving her head around when he's got the shrine to her. Maybe he's, he just true. thinks she's being really still, right? And so <laughs> she's very cool. <laughs> and so she's talking a very to still him. woman. And he, you know, and and he still gets visions of her, I guess. But uh, yeah, so the child psych um, in her says, "I'm gonna put on the sweater. I'm gonna move her head out of sight so that." Maybe Jason thinks mom's moving again, you know, and uh, yeah. and you get that sort Her of nap is done. You get the yeah. the cuts between uh, um, Pamela and, and her uh, saying the same line, you know, Jason, yeah. mother's talking to you, and oh, so, so go ahead creepy. and kneel down, yeah. Jason. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so it's uh, it's definitely a callback to that little conversation they had in the uh, in the casino. <laughs> it's yeah, so and it's well, it's a cool like it's a cool reference to Psycho as well. Oh, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. Like that's got to be what that is, right? Where we see the overlays on. Yeah. Uh, there's a skull overlay on. Well, the uh, whole mother situation yeah. is a direct reference to Psycho. Like you, you yeah. pulled right out of it. That's right. Um, yeah. Which was the first slasher movie too, so it makes sense that you would reference that. That's not mm-hmm. bad writing. That's just no. Good. That's why. That's just good homework. That's why I appreciate this movie so much because it does reference a lot of Psycho. It just kind of takes it and puts it in present time. With, you know, at a summer camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, okay, so all of all of that happens. Jenny tries to um, convince uh, Jason that she's uh, his mother. It works for, it works for a time. Um, but then Jason kind of uh, notices that uh, his mother's head is on the altar and resumes the attack on Jenny. Paul uh, appears and attacks Jason very clumsily. Like, this is such a weird... He just runs and he's like... In Paul's defense, he's a penis. He's an animated penis. He kind of gives me Fred... Is that the guy's name from Scooby-Doo? Yeah. Yeah, he gives me, like, Fred from Scooby-Doo vibes. So he's quickly... But he's, like, quickly, you know, overwhelmed by Jason's attack. So Jason is about to kill Paul with a pickaxe, but Ginny picks up the machete and slams it down into Jason's shoulder, seemingly killing him. And a nice um, reference to the original end of the original film as well, because you get the slow motion shot with the machete, mm-hmm. same weapon that killed his mother, going right into him, and it is the same sort of like run and swing moment. Yes. Um, so then Paul and Ginny return to the cabin and hear someone outside. They're thinking that Jason has followed them. They open the door... Only to find Muffin. Muffin's not dead. Muffin. Mu- Muffin's it wasn't dead. Muffin. Doesn't die in this one. Who's, what dog was that? Somebody's dog right, died. But you know Yeah, what? someone's dog died. It's, Maybe it was a raccoon. Mm. Um, nah, they do the hard cut to the hot dogs on the grill. So it's a dog. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. true. It's that's a true. dog. That's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, it's a good hard cut, too. Ah, <laughs> oh. Yeah. 
That's so, right. just as they think they're out, out of the woods, they sigh in relief, and um, an unmasked Jason bursts through the window from behind and grabs Jenny. She then wakes up um, and is being loaded into an ambulance and calls out for Paul, who is just nowhere to be found. Um, so his fate is pretty ambiguous. We don't know. So uh, back in the shack, Pamela Voorhees' head remains on the altar with Jason nowhere to be found. It's and a head shack baby. Yeah. Head and shack. scene and movie. Baby head shack. Uh, yeah. I got me a truck. It's as big as a whale, and we're <laughs> about to set sail. <laughs> I do love doing B52's references on this podcast. That's not like the first or fifteenth time I've done. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, when we did when we did Love Witch, because that's you know, Love Shack, Love mm. Witch. Same. That's deal. good. That's good. I had a bunch of riffs on that one. That was a lot of fun. Everybody loved it, and no one complained in my DMs. <laughs> not a one. But yeah, so that that wraps up uh, part one and part two. So I mean, I I I kind of feel about part one and part two the same way that I feel about the Evil Dead, where part one sets part one walks so that part two can run. Like it sets up the world, it sets up you know here's what's going on. It has an awesome you know uh, kind of twist at the end where it's the mother instead of being this you know horrifying dude or whatever being the killer, and then. Part two is able to really, they give us a little bit more character development, which you may or may not need in a slasher. You're, again, in it for the kills. Um, But they give us way more interesting kills. And I don't know. I just think part two is a lot more fun than part one, personally. Yeah, I think that that sounds right. I think, uh, and I'll probably, you know, I think uh, people go into slashes for different reasons, but I'm... I think I realized that what I really like about a slasher is that there are well-developed characters um, and that's what makes, uh, that is part of what makes the, the kills engaging because you've, you've sort of invested a little bit into like the little desires and goals of these people knowing that they will never come to fruition. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. So this is, someone says they want something in a slasher you know that they're done yeah and so uh so i think it's getting getting interesting characters seeing their sort of character dynamics and then this like almost like external maleficent force is coming to just like uh, none of your none of your little demands or desires uh really matter you're you're all dead you know you're all dead right um and and i think it's just more entertaining to watch a character as opposed to a a stand-in die you know they're cool effects right. you yeah. know kevin bacon's death in the first friday 13th is awesome but kevin bacon as a character uh it's not really the first like you said the first movie doesn't really have strong characterization there's a little bit of like the jokester in um whatever his name is ned ned yeah um and there's you know kevin bacon and the other the the other girl are you know they're the the horny teenagers they're the ones having sex but like right. it's really subdued um and where you see not just in the second one, but continuing on, is that the characterization really ramps up. You get these a little bit of tropiness coming on. You know, you get For like sure. the the horror movie tropes, but um, but it's what makes um, I would say you know two through five like just really entertaining to watch. Whereas the first one's like walking, so that the the other ones can run. Absolutely, like you said. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the thing that I took away from you know both of these movies is a 
don't go to sleepaway camp. B, <laughs> definitely don't have sex at sleepaway camp. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, <laughs> you will die. So we were talking a lot while it's we were It's all that watching. virginal shit that, yeah. that horror films love to harp on. Well, and it's... I. Okay, so I find this a little bit less of a morality play than it's taken as. Because it's not about don't have sex. It's about don't let children drown (laughs) and don't hire unstable cooks, which means there will be no cooks. I've been a cook. I'm unstable. But like, (laughs) yeah, don't hire the mother of one of your kids who can't swim and then go off to making love (laughs) while he's in the the lake like that's that's the morality of it is like oh don't be a dick it's not don't fuck it's don't be a dick <laughs> that's true that's fair yeah i guess it's i guess it, i guess it's also like do your job yeah like you had one job make sure the kids don't die like i'm a babysitter my one job is to make sure that the kids don't kill each other or kill themselves or kill someone else or you know yeah i taught middle school that's basically what it is yeah I have I have a one hundred percent success rate. No children have died nice. under my supervision. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no yeah, yeah. I think uh, I mean that's I think probably a more fair interpretation of like what's going on in the movie. It's like yeah, don't be negligent, and uh, not that if you're negligent you deserve death by the hands of Mama Cook, but um, <laughs> you know, uh, don't be negligent. But uh, but the reason I mean the whole slasher genre comes out of uh, not yeah something like a morality play or like. Some sort of right. conservative fear of, um, you know, it's meant to be a, a, a lesson. Yeah, uh, a conservative yeah. lesson of like, well, don't do drugs because then you're going to be too high and you're going to die. Or, you know, yeah, don't, you're going to be like, oh, no, knife. Oh, what do I do? Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I think, um, yeah, it's a. Uh, I would say that the, the, the text of the Friday 13th movie <laughs> might not be as clearly a morality play, but it's. In being a um, in following some of the proto slashers of the seventies and and mo- uh, not exactly modeling itself out of Halloween actually Halloween doesn't really have that sort of morality play exactly but um it's been accused of it but I completely disagree well it is uh, it's definitely like oh Halloween made a shit ton of money like we got yeah. we gotta make a more mainstream slasher that um mm-hmm. so mo- it's Halloween's an art film it's a it's a suspense thriller with some some deaths you know it's really yeah. Uh, so, so I think of the Friday the 13th series is like, it's like my favorite horror series, but it is, I would not say it's the best horror series, but it is, (laughs) but it's like my favorite, um, because of what uh, me and my friends have kind of brought into it. But, uh, but yeah, but yeah, it's, it's in comparing the first Friday 13th movie to like Halloween. It's, um, it's sort of not a, there's no question as to which one is a more competent and interesting film. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, I mean, my, yeah, my favorite slasher is halloween and halloween 2 um Mm -hmm. they're kind of equal for me yeah Uh, the series sucks the series gets way worse that's right yeah yeah Um, season of the witch is not not good good. (laughs) (laughs) but still waiting to do that episode with lopez but yeah yeah um and then but i think my favorite series is nightmare Mm mm-hmm I yeah. just like the silliness. I like the way that Craven plays with things. I think he does a really fun job. When we covered the first one last month, yeah. it was all about like, because we covered it the week after we covered Hitchcock's Psycho. And it was talking about like, oh, okay, perfectionist versus someone who knows how to get the big shots, but doesn't give a shit about the in-between. Mm-hmm. Like I it's a much love... more laissez-faire approach to filmmaking, but really cares about the plotting. I just love Nancy. 
I think Nancy, Nancy is a rules. bad bitch, and <laughs> that's what I connect with. So that's why I love Nightmare on Elm Street because she takes control. She's like, I'm gonna, she's I'm gonna never fucking control, do it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, she's, yeah, she's awesome. And I, I, I'm enjoying. I enjoyed rewatching one and two of. Friday the 13th because it was like okay yeah no I remember watching these I'd seen the second one a couple times I've never seen anyone any of the ones after this I've well, mostly because you explained the entire plot to me yeah, every time yeah. we got we drunk <laughs> maybe talk about that later but yeah totally um, um, but yeah uh, I don't know what your McGoodin can finish your point uh, oh yeah, yeah it's more that just like it's it's fun to compare all of these slashers together yeah. since we've now covered sort of the main three mm-hmm. uh, uh big one i guess we haven't covered halloween yet but um we just feel like we have because yeah, we mentioned it all talk the about time. all the time um yeah but yeah. you know having touched on all three of the major like what i would call like the major slasher uh film series mm-hmm. from the 70s and 80s and into the 90s and aughts and today yeah because they're still making all of these yeah that's right um, yeah. there's supposedly a new friday the 13th in the works but i think that got mm-hmm. jammed up by uh that's right yeah, yeah yeah um but yeah going back to the uh, sort of the uh, the final girl. Um, yeah, Alice in the first one is like she's fine, but she doesn't have much characterization. She's not as mm-hmm. well. She wants to draw. She wants to draw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, that's it. she wants to draw. <laughs> she's okay to play um, strip Monopoly, but other than that, she doesn't do. She doesn't. You know, she's not looking to have sex right away. She's not doing any drugs or anything. Right. Um, and yeah, uh, I'd say her. Um, the the other I don't know the names of a lot of the characters, but uh, That's her there's, two, there's so many. Uh, the uh, the girl who poses proposes strip monopoly, and the other mm-hmm. guy who plays does he play guitar? Who plays guitar? Yeah, he's the one who's yeah. playing. Like the, I think it's Bach. Yeah, but sure. that's oh, like Wonderwall. <laughs> <laughs> Before Wonderwall, proto Wonderwall. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's what we were saying. We should start dating things uh, pre Wonderwall yeah, and post Wonderwall. Uh, yeah, it was a pre Wonderwall. Uh, what a time what to a be time. alive! Um, Yikes! But all, about six years of it, it was yeah. great. But but all those characters, um, they're not very strong, and they don't do much aside from wait around to die. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Uh, and so uh, it's a, I mean, the, you know, the script was written really late into the process. Like it just, <laughs> it's not a, um, it, it feels that it's way, not yeah. a very coherent story. It's got a great setting. They have some cool um, ambient shots of like the lake and, yeah. but it's super slow paced, um, even just relative to a year later, part two, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's just super slow. And um, it's interesting to see that in comparison uh, to part two because it's because it's so slow the, the beginning um you know the beginning girl and she goes into the small town and you know, oh it's jinxed can crystal lake is jinxed um you know she meets the yeah. that truck driver at the beginning yeah, and, uh, and ralph Venus. yeah and so it doesn't uh, pay for his eggs nah, he <laughs> so know, weird. he's a buddy you know they all know each other down at that little yeah, they'll put it on his tab yeah. yeah um but yeah it's so slow to get going um which is kind of cool um but i don't think it yeah. builds up to very much it's like the the second act of the movie is really slow <laughs> that's yeah. uh that's yeah. what i would think um and then even the even the last act kind of you know goes on for a bit but it's um but it's kind of interesting to 
yeah anyways um the first, yeah. one, the first one to me is very cool for the cinematography and i do like slow pacing but it, it gets a it drags it drags well it's well it's also um, interesting because the it's like the first one and the second one kind of reverse their pacing where in the first one everyone dies very quickly and it's it's and then mm-hmm. yeah kind of like the second act is a little bit slower but in the um in the second one you are everything happens in the last like 45 30 45 minutes like everyone's still alive at almost the hour mark when you're watching it almost aside from obviously alice and uh the, what, co- ralph? the, the cop dies and a little early yeah. yeah yeah it's it's ralph and the cop are the first two to die so i guess it's oh, a and, little, yeah and alice dies that's mm-hmm. right yeah as far as deaths go it's a little better paced in the second one because yeah. everyone's like still alive so you're like okay when's this gonna pop off and then yeah. when the payoff happens you're like okay yeah yeah <laughs> and you've you've spent the time to build up the characters who do have a little more flesh in the in part two um mm-hmm. again they have their their motivations what they're trying to do they have their limitations and um and their conflicts you know one, them. at least yeah. one thing about each of them yeah 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 uh we didn't talk much about was his name Ted? What was his name? The, he's got the black shirt on, and he's like really suave-faced, but he, he's got the slingshot that he, he shoots the oh, other girl yeah. in the butt. I was calling him James Marsden. You called him Ryan McCartan. He looks a lot like Ryan yeah. McCartan to me. So he, you don't know Ryan McCartan. He's a, 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 he's a Broadway actor. Okay, famous okay. Famous for playing JD in the Heathers musical. Oh, okay, right. yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, I haven't, uh, I've heard a little of Heathers, um, the musical, but... Oh. Dude, it's good. Go it's good. It's How good. have I not yelled at you a thousand times to watch this or listen to it? It's so good. I watched the movie again in in you know I in preparation. It, I watched it two nights ago. <laughs> nice. Um, Heather's has become like comfort watching to me, which I don't know what that says about me. Yeah, <laughs> true. You're like a bad boy with a death wish. <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, so part two. There's at least a little bit of characterization for everybody, um, and so by the time the kills start popping off, it's like. Uh, Oh no, not this guy! Oh no, not the couple! No, you know. Right, um, yeah. yeah. There's that joke. You in, care more. Yeah. There's that joke in the uh, the thing in the beginning where um, the couple drops off out of their truck, I think, to the payphone. Remember payphones? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're calling, and then as in the in the in the back of the frame, as they're talking on the phone, you can see uh, the the tow truck coming to pick their yeah like p- picking their truck truck and driving it off around the corner, and then you mm-hmm. find out that it was just. Um, it was just the, the Ned, Ned. Uh, Linguini. 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 Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a great wide shot there, too. The shot selection in this, I was talking about, um, we were rewatching the middle, I guess we watched from like 30 minutes in again okay. this morning. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I watched it all last night, but then uh, just to get a nice refresh, like a little more awake uh, with some coffee and everything to rewatch that. And I was like, damn, the shot selection's actually really good in the second one. I really love the shot selection between... Um, how you don't see Jason fully until a uh, purple sweater with the ugly satin panties dies. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, whatever her name was. Annie. Uh, Linda Cardellini. Linda yeah. Cardellini. yeah. She looks just like her. The one who wants to fuck Mark, who's in the wheelchair? Yes. Her. Yes. When we get yeah. that death, that's the first time we even see anything beyond Jason's feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was really great because there's a great, it's a, it's a really nice sort of simultaneous, they use the music for so much of the, like, hey, someone's about to die here. Yeah. But then they start using shots of feet um, in a non-Tarantino way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I thought it was cool to do that sort of weird, like, it's a boring shot on its own, but in the context of, like, going from wides where you can't see Jason to tights where the only thing you can see is his feet. Yeah. And very methodically moving around. It reminded me of, um, I've rewatched uh, No Country for Old Men recently. 
Okay. And there's a bunch of shots like that of Anton Chigurh. Yeah. Um, which I think is what Javier Bardem based part of his performance on. I think I read an interview that you said that, that it, like part of it was based on Jason. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. But anyway, that's, that's it. There are shots that feel like reference in no country mm-hmm. to this, to this movie. Cool. I also want to give the second, the part two um, props for the final girl more so than part one, because um, part two, Jenny, Jenny is, I mean, she, she's very smart. She she goes at it from so many different angles, from physical fighting, from psychological, you know, like she's she has a lot of agency towards the end. I don't love that they have um, what's-his-face barge in to try to, like... Paul. Paul to try to, like, um, wrestle with Jason. But I don't know. In part one, it kind of just feels like a little bit of, like, ah! like Alice is just letting it happen in a way like yeah. not really but I don't know it's it's more passive and I feel like Ginny is just more active with the story so she takes control of the situation where Alice has the situation happen to her is that more what you're yeah to say? that's that's kind of what I'm trying trying to say I like and I also like that because the final girl is very typically um a little more virtuous whether that means that they're a virgin or not it's usually like um, how how you were saying like Alice um, just wants to draw, doesn't do drugs, doesn't you know she's yeah. just she's a lot like Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. Like I I would guarantee that Alice would decide to babysit instead of go out on Halloween. Yeah. Like although Jamie 100%. Lee Curtis does get high. Mm. Yes, which it is yeah. Um, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but then we've got Jenny who is in almost this like forbidden relationship. It, it's probably forbidden in their minds. I don't think anyone actually cares, but they think it's kind of hot that it, that she's like, <laughs> I'm your assistant and all of this stuff. So I don't know. I kind of like the treatment of the final girl in the second one more mm-hmm. than the first, but it's, it's, it's also dope though, that there are, um, two strong women that end both of these films. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I think that's totally right. And I'd agree that the, like Jenny is one of the, I'd say one of the best final girls. Cause one, she's got a character. She's this child mm-hmm. psychologist. She's kind of spunky, you know, she like, she does that right. joke at the beginning where she, uh, I forget if it's Paul looking at the, looking at a, a yeah, with the engine. With yeah, the engine, she's, uh, yeah. She's, like, trying to flood the engine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, maybe it's not a joke, but she's, like, you know, she gets them all uh, all dirty with the, the exhaust, yeah. I guess. <laughs> and, and he's, uh, and she's, like, oh, you well, know, I guess it's, you know, I guess it's better now. Um, and so she's a little spunky. <laughs> she's got a little, uh, um, you know, some character. And, and actually, the, I think the acting is really natural when she's sitting at the casino. Yeah. She's, like, you know, no, no, let's think about Jason. You know, it just feels, it feels really natural. Um it feels very you, honestly. I was yeah. watching. Ah, oh, that's why I like this her so much. This is kind of what hanging out with Joe at the bar is like. Like he gets a few, few ideas, yeah. in him and he's just like, but like, no, but listen, no, 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 no. Here's yeah, the thing. Here's yeah, the here's the thing. thing. Here's the way to look at it. Um, no, I think, and uh, you know, yeah, maybe I'm as a an academic or whatever I am. Uh, <laughs> maybe you know, maybe as an academic, I'm uh, biased to a certain sort of thing. But no, I, I think more it's that she's got a, the character. She's spunky. And she uses that character trait to increase her agency in the situation. It's just good writing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, you Absolutely. know, good writing for a sequel to a low-budget slasher in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's yeah, that's the bar we're setting. Yeah, there's but, um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, uh, and I think that's, 
uh, part of that's one of many things I think makes the second one um, a a great entryway into the series. Uh, though for historical reasons, you should always watch the first one. Um, oh, definitely, of course. And and uh, so what? Something we should you know obviously make explicit is. Uh, Jason doesn't show up as the killer until the second movie. That's kind of yeah. weird. Yeah. Dope. yeah. You don't, uh, yeah. you know, if you show somebody the first Friday the 13th now and you say, oh, yeah, it's the series with, you know, Jason Voorhees, the guy in the hockey mask. Um, mm-hmm. And they watch and the, the entire. the hockey mask doesn't even show ah, up until the third the one. The third one shows up in the next one. Hey, I got it right. Yeah. Woo! So that's so. <laughs> yeah. So in the first movie, you don't even have Jason. He shows up as, you know, a decomposed or mossy boy in the middle of the lake. Uh, and then. Yeah, and then he shows up in the then he's the killer in the second one, but he's got the the sort of burlap sack uh uh the what is it uh, the was it the town before sundown the dread I forget what the movie is. There's like a proto slasher from late 70s oh, where the killer yeah, yeah, yeah. had the burlap sack. I was thinking um Bay of Blood, but that's a that's the reference in um The Spear Kill. That's a Bay of Blood reference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh so it's not even like an original mask, you know, in in the slasher right. series. Uh, and it's only in the third one that uh, that he gets the hockey mask. So, you know, you can... And does he stick more to the machete after that? Because I know the machete is, is like his iconic weapon. Yeah, he uh, he does. Um, but it's not it's not nearly exclusive at all. Like, there's always kind of variation in, you know, his, uh, shooting off like a harpoon gun or, a, you know, <laughs> yeah. using a fire poker, you know, like just is whatever that, is, is around. Jason Takes Manhattan? Uh, actually, it, it's, it is at the beginning of Jason Takes Manhattan. Um, but it's also in the third one, uh, kind of like a long, a long shot with like a, it's either a crossbow or a harpoon gun or something into the eye of, um, this girl in part three. Um, and he's got the hockey mask by then. So it's like, it's like in the middle of the third one. So yeah, um, the, the machete always makes regular appearances. It's the weapon that little, um, Tommy Jarvis uses to kill him in part four. Uh, it's the weapon that in part six, when he comes back to life, um, he kind of, there's this kind of comedic shot of him with a machete. He's like, you know, he, he likes what he sees when he finds his machete. <laughs> yeah. Sort of like a, um, but moment, it's, right? um, but it's almost like a little nod and it's not, um, it's never said, you know, it's never part of right. the lore that the machete is his thing. Um, because, uh. Yeah, very, you, you gotta vary up UCB. the kills. You gotta vary up the mm-hmm. kills. Uh, yeah, yeah, keep it exciting. You gotta keep people Killer excited. Killer UCB, yeah. Whereas, yeah. you know, uh, Michael Myers is always that giant kitchen knife. Yeah. yeah. He loves that that's chef's true. knife. Ah, that's, that's right. true. Yeah. That's his, that's his best friend. So before we sign off here, I do have to ask, what is the video game like? Is it mm-hmm. like... Uh, yeah, tell tell me. Is yeah. it like a whole journey? Is it what? It's, what do you do in the video game? So it's game? a it's a multiplayer game where mm-hmm. you have okay. uh, up to eight players in a like a single map. One of those players is chosen to play as Jason. Jason's got it. It's randomly assigned, right? It's randomly assigned. You can like. So it's kind of like Among Us, but it's not a secret. That's yeah. Who it's the good. Killer is. Yeah. Yes. So then, okay. then, nice. Look at you yeah. updating the reference. Yeah. I love that. I I hang out with kids. That's I know right. what's cool. And so the the game is less about figuring out who Jason is. It's more about uh, mm. dodging Jason and and meeting some uh, you know escaping somehow. Um, yeah, it's like a hide it. and seek game. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's a survival. It's a wait, what would you call it? Like a multiplayer survival horror. Multiplayer survival. Yeah, horror would be fine, but definitely. Definitely a survival game, uh, multiplayer yeah, survival PTP, game. Yeah, and uh, pl- uh, PvP, yeah, or PDP player versus player. Yeah, um, but yeah, Jason wants to this kill everyone. Cool. Everyone else wants to escape, but 
there are different ways to escape. You can call the police, which requires that you like fix the uh, set up the power. I think fix the power, use the phone, call the police, and then run to the edge of the map where the police are. Or you can find the gas and the battery. Um, and the keys for the car, a car, one of the cars on the map, and you can get in the car, but the car can only hold either two or four players, depending on which car it is. So, like, there's a lot of fun bits in the middle of the game, but it's uh, it's basically awesome. you're trying to escape, yeah. Yeah, and it's cool, cool. to be, like, so the it's so it has puzzles in, in it. It's, it's, it's probably my favorite adaptation of a movie from a video game, other than, mm-hmm. like, GoldenEye. Okay, right? yeah. I'm... Um, and the reason it's so good is because it, I think it actually does play with... I haven't actually played it, but I've watched a lot of streams of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't have the, the system to play it at the time that yeah. it came out, and I just sort of you know haven't gotten around to it. But I've watched hours and hours and hours of video of this, or like streams of this, and it's really fun to watch the puzzle solving of the campers yeah. or counselors mm-hmm. versus the things you can do as Jason, which all reference pieces of the movie. So like um, Brenda's body gets thrown through the window, right? You can yeah. do that to campers and you have to like deal with terror levels in some of them. Like mm-hmm. you have to like figure out like, okay, so like you can terrorize the counselors and it like gives them a deficit okay. to their abilities and things like that. They're easier to and find so, basically. Everyone's got like exactly, a, yeah. you can like hide in under beds or just like be quiet. And Jason has like this sensibility, but if the more terrified you are, the easier Jason can smell you like heartbeat stuff yeah yeah so you can you can like you can take people you've killed you can use their bodies as like sort of like bait or traps and things like that okay and so there's a really both sides of it are really neat which is done in the movies um that's that's really cool i definitely i definitely would play that yeah 100 percent. very much a new type game yeah that sounds really fun yeah it's bound to be uh cheap pretty soon and um i don't know what the player base is gonna be or it is by now because um so Sean Cunningham, the director of the first one, he's got the basically the rights to the, um, not the whole series, but I think to like the story, like the a lot of the main yeah. assets are owned by him, and he's basically in a lawsuit. He has rights to the character of characters. Jason. That's what it is. Yeah, him and, him and Paramount have rights to the characters. So, so some, so he's in a, a legal battle with the the studio, which I think thought it had the rights to do it. Um, yeah, and so mm-hmm. for over a year now, I think. Uh, maybe close to two years now uh, they haven't been able to like add any content uh, yeah it's been mm-hmm. it's yeah. basically been frozen because one of the cool things they did was uh, for every Friday the 13th movie up to I think part five now maybe part six they have a map that is based on the location of the movie and so mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. can see in the specific cabins you know so there's like Pakanak Lodge from part two and you go in and you right. see the fireplace and you see like the you know, oh, that's where the guy in the wheelchair got hit in the face with his <laughs> with the machete. It's, there's Ted's right. video games. There's Ted's video games. That's the thing you can accidentally set off. <laughs> it's uh, right, 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 right. So I did see, I, it was one of the funniest streams I watched was someone accidentally set off Ted's video games and got killed immediately after. Awesome. And it was just so funny to hear the streamer screaming while that happened. But yeah, it's uh, it basically there's a lot of love that went into the development of this game in looking at the environments and looking at the distinct styles of Jasons from different movies, and you can play as Jason from part three part seven uh part six you know part uh five jason goes to hell and it's um jason goes to hell. it's basically a love letter to the fans but it in itself also is a a, i'd say a pretty solid fun uh sort of pvp asymmetric mechanics looked really good yeah uh yeah um i love it i love it oh yeah absolutely 
you know, if you're looking for like the best movies in the series, um, sort of unanimously, part four is considered one of the best. Um, It's got all these things that we say, I think, are good about um, part Mm -hmm. two. Uh, it's got some other things that are really good. Tom Savini comes back to do the the effects. Yeah. So he did part one and four, and um, and they're really oh, good. That's right. yeah. It's also called the uh, the final mm-hmm. chapter. So Jason was supposed to die, um, and uh, yes. I'll just say it's got um, two. Uh, it's got it's got young Corey Feldman, and he's really great as young Tommy Darvis, and it's got uh, that's right. Crispin awesome. Glover, yeah, yeah. who who is. The, the best character in all of... Yes. Well, I would say, arguably, the best character in all of the Friday 13th series. He's just... I don't know. He's got his own unique... like. I, I don't want to spoil anything. He's just great to watch and really enjoyable. Look up the dance gifts or the dance videos of him from Part 4. It's really good. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say is Part 5 is very uh, hotly contested. People mostly hate it, I think. But... Uh, we, uh, me and my, my peers of experts, have decided that it is at <laughs> least, well, it is comparable to part four. It's actually also one of the Anytime best ones. Oh, amazing. Um, uh, and uh, it's got a slew of great characters. Like, it's awesome. And the, and the kills are uh, pretty good. They're not as good as four, but they're pretty good. Um, and why people don't like it is because um, we're just gonna we're gonna spoil it. Um, in part four, Jason does in fact die, and in part five, you have a copycat right. killer, um, and and maybe I won't spoil who it is, but you have a copycat killer, and uh, he wears a distinctly a blue mask instead of a red mask. It's very different, and so there are subtle subtle clues to the fact that it's not actually Jason, but even though it's not Jason doing the killing. Everything else that we love about Friday the 13th is, that people I think love about the early oh Friday the 13th is there. Um, <laughs> and I think people just, uh, people are wrong about what makes a good Friday the 13th movie. Um, okay. Yeah. Very. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hot take. It's a, it's a hot take. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Some people just don't get it sometimes, but like, that's why we have you on this episode. To, to steer people in the right direction. That's totally... We love hot takes around here. We, we literally operate... Made a, we made a like little IGTV that was called Hot Takes with Horror Bands. We We operate <laughs> off of hot takes. So thank you so much again, Joe. Um, where can the people find you if they want to keep up with you on the social media? Are you on the social media? <laughs> I am on the social media. Um, Amazing. Let me see. You know, actually, probably the best place is um, I've recently made a new account for uh, Analog or Digital Studios. Um, it was just a, it was just a joking name that we came up with, me and my brother and my friends, yeah. when we were doing videos, you know, little videos for ourselves, you know, 20 years ago. Um, but uh, Analog or Digital Studios, let me actually look it up real quick on Instagram. Um, and we're going to start putting uh, more higher quality uh, video production stuff there. Uh, most recent video you posted Great. was fantastic. I watched it so many times the other day. I loved. It. I actually meant to send it to you and I forgot to. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. Re- a lot of fun. Check it out. It's a like a three minute homage to. It's a, It's got a lot in it, I think. But it's like it's more of an homage to Argento. Um, it's it's a Great. Fu- it fully and then uh, but it's got a bunch <laughs> of other things. Uh, yeah, AOD Studios, AOD Studios on the Instagram at AOD Studios. Amazing. That's probably the best place. Um, there are links probably there to other things, but. Uh, 
you know, I've Beautiful. got horror insight. I do philosophy of climate science, like whatever. You know, we could talk about whatever. Um, but thank you. Thank Sweet. you so much for um, having me on. Absolutely. We really enjoyed this this convo. And the babes out there know where to find us at Instagram. We are at Horror Babes Podcast on uh, Twitter. We are at Horror Babes Pod. And you can always find us at HorrorBabesPod.com. And this is Nicole. I'm Topher. And I'm Joe. Signing off. Bye, babes. Bye. Yeah, babe.